To know love is to know fear, attributed to the Angeal Epiphany. The skiff bobbed on icy waves as two sailors rowed in tandem. A crescent moon looked down upon the little boat and limbed a silvery trail back to the hulking shadow that was the royal schooner Sea Eagle. The damp air was pungent with the scent of brine, but the sky shone uncommonly clear, and the wind carried an exhilarating sense of promise. Or at least Ian thought so, as he stood with boots braced in the prow of the skiff, watching the dark expanse of the Calgarin cliffs growing taller, broader, vaster, until they towered over the little boat. No lights glimmered in the great crags to tell the rowing sailors where beach ended and deadly rocks began. Neither lighthouse nor lantern served as a beacon to guide them across the blanket of ebony ocean. They'd only Ian to guide them, his ears keen to the roar of the waves upon a familiar shore. There, Ian pointed with arm outstretched. Two degrees to port. The blustery wind whipped his hair, lifting and tossing it in wild designs, while his cloak flapped behind him so that he seemed a figurehead as he stood in the prow, a sculpture of some undersea godling. Aye, your highness, said one of the sailors, and he and his partner adjusted their rowing to shift course. Tis strange, noted the skiff's fourth occupant, who was seated on a bench behind Ian, wrapped in an ermine cloak. Ian's blood brother since childhood, Creighton Kelspath, had sealed his destiny to Ian's. They'd both passed their eighteenth name day, that age of manhood that brought new titles and new responsibilities, yet neither felt quite ready to face the world beneath the mantle that accompanied their new status. What's strange? Ian shifted his head slightly to maintain his focus on the minute sounds of the surf. Strange to be coming back here after so long. Creighton's tone shouted his anxiety. He added under his breath, Strange to think of ourselves as the king's men again, instead of just the queen's. Would there was no need for such distinction, Ian muttered. He'd spent five long years arguing with his queen mother about her estranged relationship with his king father, the entire time he'd been living on his mother's island of Edenmar, in fact. And the enduring disagreement had created a flood of bitterness on the matter. His mother had sequestered him in Edenmar to protect him after both of his older brothers were lost to treachery. But this truth provided ill consolation for being ripped from all that he'd known and loved. Yet now, all that had changed. At least, Ian hoped it had. Two moons ago, Queen Aradan and her entourage had returned to Calgarin to make peace with King Gudrun in the name of their only surviving son. Ian hoped his name would be enough to bridge the canyon between his estranged parents. A great part of him feared nothing could span so immense a distance. Abruptly, the skiff surged upwards amid a rising roar of crashing waves. We're here! Ian grabbed the side of the boat for balance and shot Creighton a knowing look while the waves dragged them towards the muted gleam of beach and excitement churned in his chest like the crashing surf. Then he could stand the anticipation no longer and leapt from the boat. He sloshed through hip-deep waves to stand, dripping upon the shore. Jutting cliffs sliced into the bay on either side of the wide swath of sand, which sparkled faintly in the moonlight. Ian opened his arms and turned around to embrace the air of his homeland, 
breathing deeply of its familiar scent. The sailors rode the waves all the way in until the flat-bottomed boat scraped the shore. Creighton swept up his ermine cloak and stepped from bow to beach. He joined Ian and turned to face the crashing surf and the broad blanket of night. Far above the dark waters spread another sea, this one a starry splay of diamonds surrounding a smiling moon. Just above this gleaming crescent, high within the arch of the sky, a seven-pointed constellation flamed. Creighton blanched. Ian! He pointed with his free arm. Look! Ian lifted his gaze to follow along Cray's line of sight, his ebullient expression fading when he saw the grouping of stars. Safrael's hand. At this utterance, both sailors lifted their faces to the heavens. Tis an inauspicious omen for your return, Creighton said uneasily. One of the sailors grunted at this, and the other spat into the sand and ground his boot over the spot. Ian cast him a withering look. Ward for luck if you wish, helmsman, but we make our destiny, not superstition. Epiphany's grace, your right highness, replied the sailor. But you won't begrudge me if I keep my knife close tonight, I hope. Ian caught sight of Creighton loosening his own blade and stared at his blood brother. You and I both have studied the science of the stars. How can you believe that constellation has any power over our fates? Creighton spun him a heated look and hissed under his breath. How can you not? Ian pushed a chin-length strand of cinnamon hair behind one ear and folded his arms across his chest. He couldn't discount the terrible events that had happened beneath the taint of Sephrael's hand. Both of his brothers had died while that constellation shone in the heavens but neither could he believe in the superstition surrounding the fateful stars. Ian looked away, his jaw suddenly tight. The memory of his lost brothers evoked a sigh that felt painful as it left his chest. We blame the gods too often for things no one controls. That's your father talking. Ian shot Cray an aggravated look. Sometimes he's right.